Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Well, good morning, Life Center Rainier. How are we doing this morning? Both of you. Awesome. Great. Well, hey, if you're new, my name's Jesse, and we are just really excited that you're here. We believe that God is on the move in this place. Amen? Come on. And uh, we just believe that he's up to good things. This is week two of our new collection of conversations, this sermon series, and it's called Paradigm Shift. And so it's kind of a, a survey of sorts of the uh, portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Today, this sermon will be called Sermon on the Second Step of the Stage. Because that was ultimately what Jesus was doing. He was on the side of a mountainside by the Sea of Galilee. And he was talking to a big group of friends. And he was giving them clear instructions about what his kingdom would establish, be established by. And so ultimately we get to lean into the greatest preacher of all time. And it's not me. I might be the best looking. You didn't say amen. That was your one chance, lady. I was saying that for my wife. But uh, the words of Jesus, Jesus is the greatest preacher of all time. Why? Because he's not just preaching the word, he is the word. And so as we engage with, with these great words today, we get to understand that what he says, he says some things that should shift the way that we think. You know, ultimately our paradigms make up what we believe because that's how we see. And, and the fact is you don't see things how they are, you see things how you are, how I am. And our perception is our reality, but also our perception can also be our deception, right? That's pithy, so you'll remember it, right? Put it in your pocket. And, and, uh, but as Jesus engages in this portion of Scripture, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 46 through 48. But before we get there, I want to just give a little pretext to this context, because any text with, with, without Context is just a pretext, and you can make it say anything you want. And so we take things out of context. If you want to have good context, just a rule of thumb, have 20-20 vision. Read 20 verses before, 20 verses after. That'll give you great context of what's being said in this portion of Scripture. And so the primary focus point that we're going to be is in verse 48. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As you hear these words, that might be crushing to you because you go, I'm not perfect. And the person I married is less perfect. Sorry, we'll get into that in just a minute. But he, he starts this conversation in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21. He starts it out by saying this, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. And so ultimately in this context, Jesus is communicating to a culture that's very familiar with the laws. The laws. What are the laws? The laws of Moses, the Mosaic laws, the Levitical laws, the, the, the precepts, the standards. This is ultimately the Old Testament covenant that was established. And Jesus now comes in communication and helps us understand this isn't just about an outward behavior. This is an inward belief that we don't just act the part and look the part but all the while inside we're falling apart. Come on, anybody been there? But the truth is, is that Jesus has given us clarifying qualifiers for us to fix our focus and shift our paradigm so that we're not productive-based, but our lives produce fruit. We're not playing this thing called life. We are participating with the person of God, Jesus. And so when we understand these great words, we understand how you hear it 
ultimately is how you believe it, which really plays into how you live it. Let me say it like this. You ever heard song lyrics that you then in turn started singing and only to later find out you were singing it all wrong? Come on, some of my favorite song lyrics that were misquoted, right? Here's, here's just a few, okay? First one, Elton John. Hold me close, oh, Tony Danza. It's like Tony Danza? No, it's Tiny Dancer. <laughs> How many of you thought it was Tony Danza? Come on, who's the boss? Uh, the prophetess herself, T. Swift. All my lonely Starbucks lovers. No, it's a long list of ex-lovers, right? It's like some of you are here today because you got that list too. Anyways, Jesus, help. And then Seattle native, our very own Jimi Hendrix, right? Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Like, excuse me, what? No, we're not kissing guys. It's kiss the sky, okay? Calm down, Jimmy. And probably my favorite of all time, the greatest pop band that never really was, but portrayed the best image, Millie Vanilli. <laughs> Blame it on Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. Blame it on, hey, Lorraine. <laughs> I didn't know who Lorraine was till a few years ago. I was like, finally, my whole world makes sense. I've been blaming things on you for two decades, and your daughter is hiding right now because she's so embarrassed. <laughs> I did my job. Love you, sis. But as you hear it, is how you believe it, which is how we ultimately start to live this thing out. Isn't that true? And Jesus came to flip this whole thing on its head. He ultimately inverts the paradox of these principles that has now been built on us achieving and being perceived piously, producing a life that has nothing to do with an inward conversion that now created in us the character qualities of Christ, but now we're just living production-based lives. And it's not if we get there, but when we do, are we allowing Jesus to radically shift the way that we're looking at life again? Because this isn't a one-time event. This is a posture that we have to constantly come back to. So if you yourself have it all perfect and put together, just so you know you're not allowed here. No perfect people are allowed here. This is a Jesus place, and he's taken us all in process. He's got perfection covered. He says, give yourself to process. And so when we journey with Jesus, we come to understand that it's not about how we look or act or portray, but there are some real associated behaviors with an inward belief. But if we're doing these things based on an outward reflection and we don't have this inverted understanding of a deep conviction, we will constantly crush ourselves because we're building this world to look a certain way. And the problem is, is Jesus never came to make you look clean. He came to do a complete clean out. And as he does such a good work in doing this, we understand the way that he's prefaced this portion of scripture is he kind of goes down the list of you've heard it say this, but I say to you. And some of the consistent core topics that he engages on just so he makes sure every single one of us cannot uphold this standard and do this on our own. He goes right to the top and he says, murder. Whoa. Well, I would never murder someone, Jesus. He goes, well, if you've had anger, anger in your heart, you basically murdered them. <laughs> I what? Yeah, adultery. 
I would never cheat. He goes, well, if you've had lust in your heart, you, you cheated. <laughs> what? Calm down. Divorce. Down the line, right? He starts talking about don't swear by any name. I swear to God, you shouldn't. He says you should let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? He keeps going down the line. An eye for an eye, for a tooth for a tooth. Like, yeah, you slap me, you punch me. It's on like Donkey Kong, right? I'm saved, but not that saved. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I'm really saved by Jesus' name. Amen. He talks about, you know, love your enemies instead of hate them. And then he jumps into this portion in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 through 48. I'm going to read this to you out loud so you can hear it. If you brought your paper Bible today, you get three points. If you brought your iPhone, that's the phony Bible. And if you forgot your iPad, you can just use your eyelids and look up to the screen today. We're going to have Matthew chapter 5, verse 46. It's okay to laugh in church. It's, I'm really funny. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 through 48, it says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In verse 48, this is where we all get messed up. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, the problem is, is that we don't understand the reality of what perfect really is. And we try to perfect, per, portray it. We try to perform it. We try to ultimately produce this on our own. But that has nothing to do with what it means to know this perfect God. And we're all just broken. We don't need another coat of varnish. We need the carpenter to deconstruct the card house that we've built and to build us up on the rock of Jesus Christ. And so when we understand the profound power of the person of Jesus, we will stop imposing pressures of performance to portray an image of something that we ultimately eternally lack. This law was given by God, not so that we could try to achieve it or fulfill it. Ultimately, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he says the law was given to make you realize that there's nothing short of your own efforts, acts, deeds, merits, or efforts that could ever achieve this standard. And then he says, but God, for the wages of sin are death, but God. Did you know the word but in scriptures is always a nullifier? It's always taking away the very previous portion of that, that portion of scripture. He says the wages of sin are death, but God, what? Jesus Christ came in, intervened on our behalf, and because of his goodness, he gave us grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. God gave us. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this isn't here to beat us up. It's here to lift us up to our understanding of the deep need of Jesus in our life that he can now walk with us and lead us and allow us to not work on basis of performance, but freedom to be found right with him. Amen? <clears throat> so I got a couple points that I want to give us this morning. I hope these are pra <clears throat> practical points that help us all continue to stay in this paradigm that he produces in us. And the first point is this, number one, if you would, write this down. Perfection isn't a product. Perfection is a person that makes us whole. 
He makes us whole. This word perfect actually means wholeness or completeness or mature. When we understand apart from him, the Bible says we can do no good thing. But oftentimes we go out in our own efforts to try to get this feeling of completeness by production, by performance. If I do, if people see, if, if, if I'm esteemed, if, I, if I'm valued, it's because I did the work. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, right? We, we do these works and acts and deeds, and even we even create our whole world around this perception. I have to find the perfect person to complete me. Anybody remember Jerry Maguire? Show me the money. <laughs> Nobody remembers Jerry Maguire. That's great. Awesome. Okay. But there was also another tagline. When, when he's talking to this gal, and, and, and they say to each other, you complete me. And here's the reality. No person will ever complete you. They are only there to compliment you. And if they're not complimenting you, you're not doing your job, spouse. Tell me how cute I am. How much you love me. And the problem is, is that we look for outward involvement for an inward problem. And we, we try to produce this image that, that looks so great and it's all based on production of my personality and the person that I associate myself as. The problem is, is that we don't understand the depth of the fundamental decisions that we make. The three most important decisions we'll ever make in our life. You ready? Number one is to accept Jesus Christ and his love in your life to have eternal salvation. Come on, somebody should say amen. Number two, I'll get right back to. Number three is the person you marry. It matters. Because when I got saved, I was like, hallelujah, Jesus. I'm like, look at her hands. Look how she's worshiping. Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away. Over to where she is so I can stand next to her. And when that's the moment when the pastor said, grab hands, we will interlock fingers and it'll be forever love. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. But you thought it. <laughs> I remember seeing my wife in worship. I was like, Jesus. She's got a heart like David, but give her my heart and let us be one so we can have Jesse's. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go losing your head over that one, John the Baptist. These are Bible jokes, people. <laughs> but we, we miss the second most important part of this journey with Jesus. It's confessing and accepting him, but it's the attitude in which we serve him, and we jump right over that, and we get to a place that we start to say, I need this to feel complete. I need that to make it look like I'm doing really well, but you forget that it's an inward attitude. That's this posture, not a, not a person that's going to complete you. No person outside of Jesus is ever going to allow you to know the wholeness of his help by way of the Holy Spirit that brings you back to this place where you no longer lack inward and you constantly try to achieve outward. It's so funny because the person writing this narrative, his name is Matthew. Matthew, when he encountered Jesus, was a tax collector, right? We're, we saw in verse 46, it says, if you, I said 46, I think I was talking about marriage too much. 46, if you love those who love you, sorry, that's really funny. Some of you are like, I'm like <laughs> talk about later. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors 
doing that. So what he's identifying is that these people are not good people. They're bad people. And so Matthew, the narrative, the one writing this narrative, is a person that Jesus found. In Matthew chapter 9, it says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. So Matthew's writing this portion of scripture, and now he's saying, like, even tax collectors. Why? Because he knows that the love of God is all-encompassing. No matter how far you've been, no matter how far you think you've gone in the, 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 the separation of God's love, no, the hound of heaven will hunt you down. You cannot get away from this glorious gift of God's grace. You were, while uh, still a long way off, God hunted you down. He found you where you were, and he never left you the same. And so when we understand, this is Matthew, he's a tax collector. He says, come, follow me. He told him, Matthew got up and followed him. Immediate obedience. So I'm not saying that there's not direct need for immediate obedience. Every parent knows that delaying obedience is disobedience. And it's not because we want them to do what we want them to do. It's because we want them to be safe. Stop, don't run into the street. Your delay in obedience in that immediate association will be your demise. So he's saying, immediately, come, follow me. And he says that Jesus went on and he went to his house and others, sinners and tax collectors. You see the association. He always talks about sinners and tax collectors in an association. Why? Because he wants people to know that Jesus goes to the worst and yet he still believes the best. Why? Because he knows that the inside job of the work that he's doing in our lives will produce godly character qualities and shift our perspective and our paradigms to not allow us to see ourselves the way that we've seen ourselves. And we'll start to understand that this perfection isn't a product, it's a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And in him, he makes us whole. Second point, write this down if you would. Perfection is an inside job, not an outside performance. It's an inside job, not an outside performance. Matthew 23, 25 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. These are the experts. These are the high-level standard people that would have to keep the 613 laws. In verse 20, even before this, he says, if you don't uphold the standards of the Pharisees and the scribes, you're missing it, right? He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Real pick me up. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Here's the problem with perfection is that it's constantly based on how I look on the outside, but it's constantly killing us on the inside. It's a poison that possesses us. And, and, and I heard a guy named Eugene Peterson said, the kingdom of self is the most heavily guarded territory. The kingdom of self, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's coming not to create another kingdom on this earth, he's coming to create the kingdom of God. And when he's establishing his kingdom, he's giving us clarity of what it means how to see things when you abide in the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self. And he says there's some things inside of us, every single one of us, because of our humanity, because of our depravity, we're constantly going to have to get this stuff out of us so that the love of God and the grace of God can fill us up to overflowing, but yet there's things that we hold on to and harbor because we want to feel like we're in control. 
A couple weeks ago, uh, uh, the, the, the bug came through our house. Uh, our babies got sick. That's the worst. I call them babies, but they're nine, seven, and just turned six. But they're still my babies. Some of you have like 40-year-old babies, right? You're, if you're laughing, yeah, it's not you yet. You're like, no, those are my babies. And, and so my, my oldest boy, middle child, Jace, he is the sweetest one on the planet. The youngest, amazing, tenacious, athletic, wants to like kick every ball and hit everything. And, you know, he's all boy. And, and then my daughter, Gracie, she's my sweet little girl. But my oldest boy, Jace, he's my ace. And we hang out all the time. And I tell my wife, he's just like me. And she's like, why do you always claim that? I was like, because he's so sweet. She's like, you ain't sweet. I was like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. <laughs> and, and so Jace got sick. And when your kids wake up in the night and they're like, oh, we're like, go, green light, go. And I, I looked at her like, you got it? And she looked at me like, I'll kill you. And I was like, you got anger in your heart? Ooh, that's murder. And so, of course, she got up, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll get up, too. And we get up, because <laughs> I'm an amazing husband. And uh, <laughs> we got up. He's like, oh, I don't feel like I'm going to be sick. And he hates to throw up. I know people don't like to throw up, but this kid hates it. And he's the sweetest, kindest kid ever. You, you see him, he, he'll love you. He'll, he'll be like, hi, what's, Jesus loves you. What's your name? I'm like, but in this moment, he flipped a switch, and he was like, no! I was like, in Jesus' name, get behind me. So I was like, woman, get, get, get the anointing oil. Call the elders of the church. We've got to pray. I'm like, what? Kid, your brother and sister are asleep. Be quiet. No, I'm not going to do it. I was like, what is wrong? <laughs> Jesus. No! I won't. I was like. He might, he might be possessed. What do we do? <laughs> he hated throwing. He would not. He's like, no matter. He's like yelling at his stomach. No. <laughs> no. I was just like, where is my phone? I got to get this on video. And then I got the eye again. Don't you dare do. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. I'm here. I love you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the thing that was in him that was making him ill he would not let out because he wanted to have control. Here's the problem. Every single one of us have this performance-based mentality that we constantly hold on to and think, I have to control the way that people perceive and see me, and I will not let it out because I will feel out of control. Problem is, is it's making us all sick. And when we find ourselves in this sickness, you have to identify the symptoms. There's out word displays associated with an inward sickness. But Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Until you know you're sick by the association of your symptoms, you won't let the healer come into your heart. And we all miss it on this so many times because we think, I've got it. I can do this. And we think I'll fix the outside. But all the while, it's a problem on the inside. There's a, a person in the Bible known as the Good Samaritan. And you're going to have to go back and read this verse for the sake of time. We don't have really the ability to lean into it all the way. But Luke chapter 10, we'll read the beginning portion of this. And, and this is really where Jesus comes to help us understand that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he is the fulfillment of the law and all the standards. 
And he allows us to learn through this lens. It says this on Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. So right now, you have to understand there was a high level of intellect and understanding. There was an, a, a, an amassing of information that would put him in a category as a person considered to be an expert. Now, the thing about the gospel in Jesus is it's not about intellectual ascend. It's about not information, but transformation. But if you don't have the right information to have this paradigm shift to change your life from the inside out... We'll base this thing in a different means, and that'll be a whole nother problem that we'll have to talk about. But he says he's an expert in the law, and he did two things right here. It says that he stood up, which in this culture was, was clearly a sign of reverence, a posture that would be honoring Jesus. But it says that he stood to test him. So now you see an outward display with an inward lacking of a posture of humility. So now he's the person of, as an expert in a right posture, but with an, a wrong inward reality. He says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus will always go back, and if you're an expert, he'll engage you in your expertise. He says, well, what, what is, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He's saying, how you've heard it is how you'll hear it is how you'll live it. He says, how do you read it? What does it say? He says, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what he just did in that moment is he took the 613 laws and he took them from the 10 suggestions, commandments, and he was the fulfillment of them all in a moment. He says, this is how you will know if these are fulfilled in you. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It goes on and it says next, he says that he wanted to justify. You have answered correctly. Go back one, please, if you could. Thank you. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to what? Justify himself. Did you know that your acts of perfection in performance is ultimately you and I trying to justify the thing that only Jesus can do. Wanted to justify himself. So he asked a question. He thinks it's a loophole. Well, who, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus kicks into full-on <laughs> creative Christian Jesus. If Jesus was physical and form here today, I bet he'd be on the worship team like wearing all black. He'd be like, and a man was walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho when two robbers came. It's like a limerick or a sonnet or something. All of a sudden he breaks out into a, <laughs> a man was walking down a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. <laughs> he says, there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. The priest groans around the other side, and I don't have time to go into all this, but I'll just say in the Levitical laws and the 613 laws, a priest was not allowed to come in within six cubits of proximity of anyone perceived to be dead. And they said, this person's naked and knocked out. I don't know if you've seen a, a naked, knocked out person on the road, and you're like, come on, kids, avert your eyes. Do not go over there. Jesus, help. So they walked around, went on the other side. The Levite, who's like the C-team 
not even the JV priest. If he saw the priest do it, he'd probably do the same thing. But it says, but a Samaritan. Samaritans were a, a, a disassociated person. They weren't fully engaged and welcomed in this group. They weren't engaged in this group. They were kind of in both worlds, kind of like Matthew at this point, who was a tax collector, but now a person that's following Jesus, a sinner, tax collector, Samaritans. These are despised people. He says, but he engaged. He got down, put him on his horse. He took him to this place. He paid for his money. He anointed him with oil to bring healing to his heart. And he came back. Jesus tells this whole story. And he goes back to the expert. He goes, which one of these guys was the neighbor? He says, well, the one that, the one that he couldn't even say, Samaritan, because he had such a bigotry towards that people group. And he says, well, the one that showed him mercy. Jesus goes, yep, do that too and, and you'll be in. And the problem is, is that he was still thinking it was about a performance. It was still an outside element that would produce in him a paradigm shift so he could see how the kingdom of God is inherited. And he says, what must I do? It's not about what you do. It's not an outward work. It's an inward work that you can't do for yourself that only the Holy Spirit can do by our confession, profession, and acceptance of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Number three, write this down if you would. This will be my last and final point. Number three, perfection isn't a place or a destination. Perfection is a person to be with. Verse 48 jumps right into the thick of it. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, I mentioned that this word perfect in the Greek is complete or whole or mature. And ultimately, there's a deeper understanding here. And maybe this is for some of you Bible friends that are really intrigued. But I want to give you a little bit deeper of a context. The word, as he says, be perfect. The first time he says perfect, this word is teleos or teleai. It's the plural form of perfect. And then he goes on down. He says, as your heavenly father is perfect. It's singular form. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I myself am perfect by myself, but you by yourself are imperfect, flawed, cannot uphold this standard. You cannot do this singularly. You have to do this in a plurality of understanding the triune nature of God, one God distinct in three persons. You alone are still at a distance. You try to put on a performance of perfection, but you still are solo, siloed, isolated on your own doing it yourself if you try to do it yourself it's never going to be the sanctification that upholds the standards of God's law he's saying apart from me you can do no good thing teleai is the plural form he's like with me you can do all things I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me and we quote that really well, but we don't realize it's not until we face something that we can't do in our own strength that requires Christ's strength that we come back to this place and we go, help Jesus. And I think we, we hold on really hard to the kingdom of self and the portrayal and the production and the performance because we think it matters what other people think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what your heavenly father knows. 
and he already knows the matters of our heart and he knows apart from him, this does not work. But it's gonna be a lot of work for you and I until we come to that place of shift in our posture, in our paradigm. Perfect, singular, plural. Be perfect. It's no longer you or me. The power is always in we. He says, be with me. First John 4.8 brings this whole thing back into context. It says this, there is no fear in what? Say it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. Same word in what? This context, you gotta bring it back to the context of the communication that Jesus is teaching these people from the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But he, he said this right before this, you remember? In verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not Are even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only the people that are doing this, how good are you? And don't you even know that the pagans do this? He's saying, be perfect in my love. His love so were, was so generously that he gave it that his own only son would come and, and save us from ourselves, from production, from performance, from a paradigm that makes us perceive and see ourselves at the pinnacle of our own world. He says, no, my kingdom is not established in this paradox. I'll flip it on its head and, and, and allow you to know that the first will be last and the last will be first and the greatest will be least. We don't allow our own lives to dictate or determine how this thing goes forward. We allow Jesus to show us, to give us a new perception, to give us a new vision, to give us a new way of living. It's not just what we produce, but it's what's being produced in us through the person of Jesus and outside a personal relationship with him, you and I are not able to uphold this standard. We will never achieve, we will never do, we'll never aspire. So we need to just quit it. Because this perfection perception really is deception. And enough of us have a pressure, an internal pressure of performance to make us miserable and not enough Jesus in our life to make us mighty. And if you're limping in life and constantly trying to carry yourself and put up, quit fluffing the pillows. Mamas, you don't have to put together the, the Pinterest lunch for your kids every day. Who told you that lie? Social media, culture, Christians. You're a Christian, you better be perfect. No, we're not perfect because we're Christians. We're loved and saved and forgiven and that's what makes us Christians. Well, you'll be known by your t-shirts. T-shirts? You'll be known by your bumper stickers. You'll be known by your Instagram posts. You'll be known by your version Bible app that tells you how many consecutive days you've been reading. No, he says we will be known by our love. And the love of God should allow us to lavishly receive the areas of our life that have 
absence and vacancies and insecurities and pains of rejection of the past that will stop and thwart the plans of the devil that constantly procure us to produce an outward display that's really an inward demise. God is greater. He will not leave you the same if you allow him to lavish his love on you. You just have to receive it. Can't you see it? Can't you perceive it? He says, shift your paradigm. This whole production-based mentality has to go for grace to come in. And grace can't even come in until perfection is lost. He's got perfection covered. Give yourself to progress. Amen. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes here this morning within the sound of my voice as the Holy Spirit continues to lead us and minister to us. That word teleos and teleai is the same root word that Jesus used on the cross in teleose when he said, it is finished. What's finished? An old perspective of perfection. He says, be free, be liberated. Now your perspective is perfect in the person of Jesus to be with to allow him to do his work inside and for us to understand he makes us whole and we lack nothing. And if you're here today and you're hearing these words and you want to say yes, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time and you feel like you have far sense astray, God, but he's here to tell you today, no one's too far gone. No one can outrun the grip of grace. I've brought you here to hear these words, to receive my love. And maybe you've heard it said from an external, external voice, or maybe you've heard it said from an internal voice, and you just keep repeating that same song, but that's not the song of Jesus. He's saying, be free, be love, be with me. He who is free is free indeed. And he's come to find you right where you are to continue to lavish his love on you. It just requires your acceptance. With every head bowed, every...